pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Has anybody ever called you a Nazi? I mean, it's a weird question, right? I'm, I'm going to assume you're not a Nazi. I'm going to assume we don't have any Nazis. You ever been called a Nazi? Heat of the moment, Facebook argument, get into it with some low-information voter and they just can't deal and, you know, they're getting frustrated and they're spluttering. And You can imagine how many times I've been called a Nazi. Real Nazis have not been called Nazis as often as I've been called a Nazi. I don't, I mean, I don't care because the people that say it are always, they've just played the, you know, they've just played the ignorant card. But the reason I asked this question on our dreadful little show today is because when you think about what's happening right now, what's dominating the news, one of the aspects of this is that words matter. I mean, we all know that, but we also know that they don't, right? Like, in this day and age, words, terminology get thrown around carelessly, callously, and not only words, but definitions, and even the concept of what is true, right? Like, we have this new expression that I know drives you crazy, drives me crazy, where you hear people say, well, I'm speaking my truth, or... That's my truth. There is no your truth, my truth. There's just the truth. Words matter. What's happening right now with Israel isn't just a war. It isn't just two countries that have flared up, maybe negotiations broke down, long-simmering issues boiled up. No. The way that Hamas came at the Israelis and everything they've said indicates extermination, elimination of the Israelis. When you're killing children and babies and people at rock festivals and you're 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 basically on a mission to eliminate eradicate a people. That's not a typical war. Typical war, both countries still exist, both populations still exist after the war. Sometimes there's even a coming together. We've we've become very close allies with our two deadliest foes in the greatest war that was fought in the last 100 years. No one could have predicted it. So I want to talk about that and, of course, many things. Welcome to the Jack Riccardi Show on 550 and 1071 KTSA. 
I don't know how many wars were going on before this one started, but let's assume there were probably a handful of wars happening around the world, and they were between countries that will eventually stop fighting, and both will still exist. Do you think Israel can let Hamas still exist after this? Can they fight this to some sort of truce? Can we send Blinken over there or Jimmy Carter or somebody and, and work out a, a ceasefire and then a negotiated, okay, we agree to do this, this, and this, and if you'll give that, that, and that? Do you, do you see it ending that way? Could it end that way when you've already crossed the lines that have been crossed? And so the word Nazi has been invoked by people that say that, that Hamas is, they're fighting like Nazis. This is like the Nazis. Because the Nazis didn't just attack neighbors, which they did. They also sought to er eradicate, eliminate a people. And that's been the goal against Israel since that country was founded by many of its neighbors. When Israel was created by international mandate after World War II, the nations around Israel all said, we will destroy it, it will not stand and of course it has stood and has thrived and Ayn Rand said of Israel it's the only country in the entire Middle East based on the protection of individual rights and it still is so there's this imperative not just to have a war but to fight the Jews and the Jews of Israel having been up against this before and now having seen the most brazen of all the assaults they've faced. I mean, there's not been anything like this before. I think, and I'd be interested to know how you feel about it, I think they have to fight this not in the way we would fight a war or even have fought recent wars, where you know you're going to stop at a certain point. And there may be arguments about, did we stop too soon with Saddam in, in uh, you know the first Gulf War or... Um, should we not have uh, invaded Iraq after the 9-11 attacks? But, but in all of our recent wars, uh, everybody knew they would eventually end with a, se <clears throat> a settlement or a, a truce. How does this one end? Can Israel leave Hamas? Can they leave the force? Can they leave the movement that did this and has sworn to finish it? Can they leave it in place? I think we have to prepare ourselves for a kind of fight and fighting we're not used to, we don't normally see. And, and people in this country, politicians, media people, they're going to try to judge what Israel is doing the way they judge other conflicts, and you can't. In addition, I've been doing some reading today, Hamas thinks they've already won. They feel emboldened and invincible. They've had successes beyond their wildest dreams. Their allies are telling them that, like Iran. The Iranian government is broadcasting messages to Hamas, out in the open, you can check me on this, uh, telling them to press on. You're doing great. Pat on the back. Now, here's something else to think about. The United States and all the European countries have been importing 
millions of people from all over the world, including from the Middle East. That value structure, if you could call it values, that you see in place with Hamas, we've invited that into the United States. We've invited that into Europe. So when you're encouraging the fighters, the terrorists, the butchers, in one place, it's being heard in a lot of other places. I would be pretty confident, based on history and what we've seen, that the Israeli defense forces will crush Hamas. I think they're going to do it. But I think in the process of them doing it, you're going to hear a lot of people in our media, in our commentariat, in our political structure, who don't understand what's going on. Because we're not used to fighting like this. We've had the luxury to not have to fight like this. And there are many people who think that you can fight wars by rules and conventions. We talked about this the other day. There's a long history of people thinking you can make treaties and you can make rules. And when there's a war, both sides will break out the rule book and say, well, I can do this and this, but not that and that because of the book. And that's not what's happening here. Clearly, the rules are out the window. We're talking about that, 210-599-5555. Have you noticed um, how careful the, and, and I have to admit, I don't even really understand the argument they're trying to make. I don't buy their argument, but I don't even understand their argument. But have you noticed how carefully the Biden White House has tried to deny that they paid for or helped pay for this attack. And I'm talking about the $6 billion that the United States released to Iran uh, on a prisoner exchange. Remember, this happened on September 11th of this year. And so the timeline goes September 11th, we start releasing these funds that had been frozen and then less than a month later, Hamas, which is a fully funded arm of Iran's foreign policy, goes into Israel. And what the administration is saying is, well, they're doing it with different dollars. It's not the money we gave them. It's, it's like this, the administration is saying, we released these funds, but we told them they could only use it for humanitarian stuff. And so it's not, these are not the dollars that Iran, and by the way, Biden didn't say it in his speech, but they're admitting that Iran funds Hamas. And I, my complication with this is um, if you give money to somebody who's doing bad stuff, it's a pretty flimsy argument to say, well, they're not doing the bad stuff with the money I gave, but you have freed up the money they have with the money you gave. I think that makes sense. Am I talking gibberish or ragtime? Or I mean, I, I think that's pretty obvious, right? Everyone who's interviewed administration people, well, let me play this one. This is Brett Baer talking to John Kirby. Brett Baer is a pretty calm, reasonable guy, not very partisan. 
And he's trying to go go through this very issue with with John Kirby. Uh, cut number six, Don. Play this. There's a lot of talk about the $6 billion in the American hostage exchange. I heard you also say that it can be frozen at any time. Why isn't this the time to freeze that? Uh, I don't have any policy decisions with respect to that to, to speak to you today, Brett. Uh, the, I, I think it's important for people to remember that not a single dinar... Uh, of that of those funds has gone into Iran not one not not any no, nothing's been allocated out of that fund yeah John, uh, and we're, we're going to watch this block money's fungible you get six billion dollars over here for humanitarian and food so then you can move money someplace else and then you have the the not enforcing sanctions that allows Iran to cash in on its its oil around the world Brett I Brett with all due respect I just got to push back on you there we, it's not that we're not enforcing sanctions we have been enforcing them as a matter of fact We've added sanctions. We've we've sanctioned 400 entities in Iran just in the beginning of this administration, let alone the sanctions that came before us. And as for the fungibility, uh, again, that money was never going to be tapped by the Iranian regime. They were never going to see it themselves. It was always going to go to vendors that we approved to go to buy humanitarian assistance and medical and food to get to the directly to the Iranian people. They, the regime was never going to see that or feel that, and they haven't asked for it. And the other thing I'll say, Brad, just before we get off this topic. Is no, no, John, I want to just push like, back on, on one thing. You said that the sanctions are being uh, enforced. The Iranian exports of oil to China, 2020, 6.6 .6 billion. 2021, 23.1 billion. 2022, $30 billion. So how is that enforcing the sanctions on Iran. We're mindful that uh, Iranian oil is still on the market and it is a global market that I mean, uh, that's the, a lot the, of money, supply, right? supply and demand have to be balanced. But I'm telling you that, that we are enforcing the sanctions and we're adding sanctions to the So to they're the always regime. talking past each other and there's no you, you can't you can't pin Kirby down. He's just too squirmy. Um, I mean he's I guess that's his job and I will say at squirminess he's pretty good at it. Uh, at the same time that they're Denying not only the six billion, but as Brett pointed out, tens of billions in oil revenue they couldn't make when we were stopping it, and they are making now that we've stopped blocking it. In addition to that, they're trying to say that this is Trump's fault, that the money that's being released from these accounts flowed in while Trump was president. And I'll play that for you later. But but anyway, here, here's my point. On the one hand, you have this, we're going to wipe you out, we're going to eradicate you, we're killing your civilian population, uh, and we're being egged on by our masters in doing that. So th that's, that's the reality of this. Israel is about to fight a war in a way we have not seen fighting probably since the 1940s. Okay. And then over here in Washington... You've got this shell game with, well, it's not really our money, and if it is, it's Trump's fault. That's a very non-serious approach to this. And I do remember hearing, among other things, President Biden say yesterday that we should put partisan differences aside and come together. I guess that meant we should do that, but he and his people are going to continue to parse and split hairs and you tell me it, it looks to me like iran's driving the bus and we gave them the keys and so that complicates our involvement in this 
to a great extent. I know all of these things are always more complicated than they're made out to be. I get that. I get all the intertwining and interconnection. I get that. I get that no administration has a lily-white foreign policy. They've all made dirty deals. Every, every president you've ever admired and voted for at some point negotiated for hostages or worked with terrorists or negotiated with a bad regime. I know that. But just bear in mind here, okay, as you're being lectured to about how you need to put politics aside, that there's some pretty intense politics being played. And in the meantime, there's also some people fighting literally to exist. And the next time somebody calls you a Nazi, point to the news headlines because we have actual Nazism going on. Chris is on the radio to get us started. Chris, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jack, and everyone out there. I have three quick points. Number one, Israel supplies Gaza with water and electricity. Turn it off immediately. Number two, blockade the Gaza coastline because that's where they get their food and their other stuff coming in, which means they're isolated. Number three, Israel needs to go over and bomb the Iranian oil terminals. There's three of them, one in the north, and that will stop all oil production flowing out of Iran, which stops the billions of dollars. And uh, that's what Israel can do and not even deal with the United States and their stupid foreign policy. And that's all I have to say. <laughs> Thank you, Chris. Yeah, I think they're going to do whatever they need to do. I don't think they're, uh, they're – this is not a permission-based uh, relationship, and, um, and it can't be. And, and by the way, I, I would just again point out this is this used to be how almost all wars uh were you know were fought we have this we have this notion now that you fight a war with the smallest possible footprint and you manage the pr and you want to uh you know you you you're you're being judged by the community of nations and all this stuff but it, you know if you go way back in history when you went to war uh, you went to war, bare knuckles, um, no holes barred. Uh, there was no international governing body or judgment or NGO. There was no international media or uh, instant, uh, you know, just add water news coverage. You know, Peter Arnett on CNN, you know, you, you didn't. So all the stuff that all the considerations that modern um, democracies take in and maybe you like that or maybe you think that's good or it's civilizing or maybe you hate it i don't know but uh, that's not that's not traditionally over the course of human history that's not how wars have been fought you didn't worry about what people would think you just made sure you won arthur is on the radio on ktsa jack riccardi show arthur good afternoon oh uh, yeah i was just thinking about what you were saying there and what brett Barry was asking about the six billion and it what doesn't make sense to me is if this $6 billion cannot be used for terrorism, why was it ever a danger for them to have it in the first place? Why was it ever oh. a negotiating tool? If, if, it, if, there, it, if it was like just for was blankets and baby formula, why not just give it. it to them? Yeah. Yes. yeah. Why didn't they just have it in the first place? Yeah. So I don't really believe the line that, that it's not uh, you know, being used for that. But also, if I cover your food budget, Arthur then you have money to do other things. I mean, how, how is that not obvious? Well, the guy the, the guy there, uh, Kirby or whatever, was saying that 
you know, they were going to be the ones to keep track of how it was spent. And, you know, so that's his kind of way of getting around that, yeah. I think. But, if we had that kind of control again, of Iran, Iran wouldn't be a problem in the first place. Yeah, yeah. And I just don't I just don't see the logic in, like, again, I don't see how it was a negotiating tool if it was just supposed to be for good anyway. They might as well just have them use it in the first place. Yeah. Well said. Arthur, thank you. Appreciate having you. Uh, 210-599-5555. You know who saw this coming? This is going to blow your mind. Joan Rivers. (laughs) I know. I saw this today. I had to play it for you. So it's 2014, and she's at the airport. I don't know where she's coming from or where she's going, but some reporter uh, has caught up with her uh, at at an airport, and uh, Joan Rivers goes off on the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Take a listen to this, cut number eight. I'm trying to get celebrity reactions to what's going on with the Palestinians and Israelis right now. Let me just tell you, if New Jersey were firing rockets into New York, we would wipe them out. I am so bored. We heard they were digging tunnels from New Jersey to New York. We would get rid of Jersey. So I don't want to hear anymore. Oh, We'll do a partial truce. And Palestinians, you cannot throw rockets and expect people not to defend themselves. What about the civilian casualty rate? Civilian, then don't put your damn things in private homes. I'm sorry. Don't don't you dare put weapon stashes in, in, in private homes and then we say get out. Of, of course, we're going to do it. The response normally is where are, the, where are the civilians supposed to go? I don't care. They started it. It is... You're all insane. They started it. What are you all saying? They started it. The Israelis did not throw their... For, for months this has been going on. How do you resolve What are you it? supposed to how do? You, how do you resolve it? How do I know? Because I have been over there. That's how I know. And I wish the world would know. And BBC should be ashamed of themselves. And CNN should be ashamed of themselves. And everybody, stop it already. You know, like uh, Dwight Howard tweeted, Free Palestine took it back. Selena Gomez tweeted uh, pro-Gaza. Oh, Selena Gomez. Oh, yeah, that college grad. (laughs) (laughs) All right, John, thank you. John, thank you so much. Well, Selena said that. Uh, 2014. Joan Rivers. She was Trump before we had Trump. We didn't know it. We could have got this ball rolling sooner. How about that? The Internet. Nothing ever goes away. Don't forget, Friday is our Raul Jimenez Thanksgiving dinner radiothon. We'll be looking for help uh, to keep this great San Antonio tradition alive and, and, and make it happen again this year at the convention center. You can give right now at KTSA.com or join us and give and hear some amazing stories uh, this Friday. And we'll be uh, doing our show here, this show. Uh, we will start at 1 o'clock on Friday. That sounds like an awful lot of jack. Yeah. Sounds that way to me, too. 210-599-5555. Um, there have been some horrific stories coming out of uh, this Hamas attack on Israel. And um, we played yesterday. It's, it's been interesting to hear reactions you expect and and maybe reactions you don't like yesterday we had jonathan greenblatt who's a big time lefty head of the adl and he's on msnbc and he's blasting the network that he's on saying i'm angry 
who's writing your scripts. Talking about what we were just talking about, this isn't like two you know, co-equal sides or a militia fighting a, a, a professional army. And uh, this guy has been, you know, saying it straight, calling it what it is. Uh, another person who's been doing this very eloquently is Barry Weiss, who's the publisher of the Free Press. And, again, somebody I don't always agree with. Uh, she was also on MSNBC. Uh, she said the Nazis tried to hide their war crimes. Hamas is live-streaming theirs. Yeah, it took years to unravel what the Nazis did, right? They, when they when they realized they were losing, they covered up, they burned stuff, they uh, formed cover stories. We had the Nuremberg trials, but even for many, many, many years after the official war crimes trials, uh, there were fugitives from justice. There were private investigations. In fact, the Nation of Israel drove a lot of that. And Hamas is streaming this stuff in real time. And I want to play some of what she said on Morning Joe yesterday because it's so powerful. I might play the whole thing later on. Um, but she was she'd been in contact with people who had personally told her what happened to them or how they escaped with their lives or how their family members get killed. Uh, cut number two. This is not a situation with two sides, with militants versus an army. This, the two sides in what just happened over the past 72 hours is the side of rapist, barbaric people who we are now learning beheaded babies, beheaded babies versus innocent people. That is what is going on here. And anyone who is found cheering, celebrating in the streets of London or Paris or Berlin or New York or Sydney, where they are screaming, gas the Jews, they are not cheering for the liberation of the Palestinian people in Gaza who languish under the jackboot of Hamas. They are cheering for barbarism and bloodshed. And we should be absolutely clear about what is going on here. Let me play what she's just referred to. This is a demonstration, a pro-Palestinians demonstration in Sydney. And see if you can hear what the crowd is. It's a pretty good-sized crowd, what the crowd is saying. Cut number seven. Gas Now, um, there's always been people like this, and there always will be. It is interesting how uh, out in the open this stuff is right now. It is it is very interesting how much anti-Semitism is being worn on the sleeve. And again, I'm not naive. I realize that, that that's always been around. I mean, the, the, the whole history of the Jews is that they were a nomadic people because they were they were often unwelcome where they settled or where they went, and they were often blamed for things that 
plagued the people they lived amongst, and so they would move on. And as we were talking about the other day, ironically, before all this got started, one of the reasons there were so many Jews in Germany is because they felt like they had finally found a pretty urbane, cosmopolitan country in which they could live and integrate and have businesses and intermingle. And, uh, of course, that tragically turned out not to be true. But when you look at the openness of all this, and the boldness of it, what it says to me is um, we now live in a time when um, if you're the smaller group or you're the, you know, less powerful element of a society, uh, you're in trouble. We are living in a time of mob rule. Like, I have no doubt that those crowds in places like Sydney, they are capable of much more than just yelling. They probably don't have any gas, but they're capable of much more than just yelling. And I think back to um, the Antifa stuff that we've seen here in the last few years as well. If you think you are safe because of rule of law, if you think you are safe because there are laws against that, you know, you're crazy. If there's more of them than there are of you, or if they have bigger weapons or the only weapons, you're in trouble. I don't care what the law, you can, you can wave your law book in front of you all day long. It better be really big and thick because that's the only thing that's going to protect you. That's, that's what this is bringing home. And I'm not saying we didn't know this before, but this is a reminder of it. What do you think? 210-599-5555. There are many in our media that are still trying to even this up. Well, you know, on the other hand, uh, Israel did some stuff and uh, Hamas has been living in an open air prison and there's all this all all this attempts to say, well, on the other hand, right? Which is some heavy lifting when you've raped and killed and machine gunned people from hang gliders at rock festivals. That's some heavy lifting to say on the other hand, but they're doing it. They're doing it. But I was thinking back, do you remember when um the media narrative shifted on Donald Trump. And it started to shift during the 2016 campaign when it became clear that the unthinkable was going to happen. He was going to be the Republican nominee. And then it really, you know, shifted after the unthinkable happened and he won the general election. And they had to make a big shift because previously Trump had been kind of like an amiable clown. They hadn't taken him very seriously. But anyway, the, there was all this talk in the media. They would have panel discussions, and there were symposia about, we can't normalize Trump. We can't cover him the way we cover other presidents. We can't, we can't, we can't do the normal, average protocol things when he gives a speech, when he makes a news conference, whatever, because he's, he's an atrocity, and he's an aberration, and he's a threat to democracy, and he's... I'm not saying this. This is what they were saying, okay? And, and so... They would give the excuse that they were shying away from him and breaking precedent in terms of how they had covered all the previous presidencies, even even Republican presidents before him. They were they were breaking all that because we can't normalize him. 
Okay, so why can you normalize like baby killers <laughs> if you if you're saying we have to be so careful as journalists, we have to tread so lightly because if we give a, a kind of coverage or a kind of consideration to this one guy, it, we could upset the whole apple cart of 250 years of American democracy. If you believe that line, I never did. I don't know if you did. I think I think they just were PO'd that he won and they had, hadn't predicted it. Then why are you normalizing uh, these butchers? Why, why don't you have the same self-consciousness about what you're saying and how you're saying it? You're phonies, that's why. Looks like Steve Scalise is going to be the new Speaker of the House. The Republican caucus met. They had a secret ballot vote. And uh, it was very close, we are told. We don't know this for sure because it was a secret ballot. But it was very close, uh, just a few votes between Scalise and Jordan. And um, they... They still have to go through the formal process of it with the full house, and you have to get, I guess, a majority of the full house. So presumably, because I haven't heard otherwise, they can do that. I don't think, like, the differences between the Scalise people and the Jordan people, I don't think they hate each other, but uh, it looks like Scalise will be the speaker. And it stands to reason he was the deputy behind McCarthy. Uh, He's a congressman from Louisiana. He, I was just talking about this off the air with Don Cooper. I find it interesting, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, because maybe I've missed this. I, I, I don't see every news story. I don't go to every website. I don't watch every channel. But I would have, I would think, I mean, the most memorable, salient, biographical fact about Steve Scalise as a public figure is that in 20, I think 2017, when that lunatic Bernie Sanders supporter attacked the uh, congressional baseball practice field and was going to try to kill as many Republicans as he could, he almost killed Steve Scalise. And Scalise barely survived the wounds, in fact, might not have survived them had just by chance one or two of the other members of Congress, I don't remember all the names now, but there were one or two members who happened also to be physicians and uh, and saved his life, you know, with immediate care. And then, of course, he went into the hospital for a long time. He was, he was laid up for a long time with that. And you just, you know that if Scalise was a Democrat, we would be getting long gauzy, stop-action, slow-motion video montages of his his courageous uh, survival and struggle to walk again, you know. <laughs> I'm, I'm saying, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not mad about it, I just think it's funny. But because he's a Republican, eh, well, we don't need to, why dig up the past, right? You know, but, oh man, if he was a Democrat... And some crazy Republican right winger had done this to him. Oh, we would be hearing about it, and 
he would be a profile in courage and he just you know um I, I I'm kind of gl- I know a lot of you like Jordan and I don't mean to make you mad or madder than you already are but I'm kind of glad it's not Jordan only because only because only because Jordan is so great in the trenches he's so great with the with these committees and I just want to I I could watch him ripping these uh, Biden appointees or Fauci and people like that. I could watch that all day. If that was a channel, I'd be on that all day. So he's he's great right where he is, and Scalise can do this. And uh, maybe I'm wrong about the coverage of the uh, shooting. Maybe they have done that. Do you want Steve Scalise, the Speaker of the House? They've uh, Republicans have uh, settled on him as their choice, but it hasn't officially gone to a full vote of the House yet. I think they'll have the votes for this. I, I think they're done squabbling. Like I don't think the differences between the Scalise supporters and the Jordan supporters are anything like the people that supported or opposed McCarthy. And I could be wrong about that, but it, it sounds like this will go through. And obviously with everything else going on, there's less maybe appetite for drawing this out. If you believe some in the media, uh, Hamas did this because... McCarthy was unseated. That's, you know, <laughs> they they didn't have any beef until that happened. Uh, so we'll talk about the Scal- I want to get your opinion on the Scalise thing, and uh, that's our question on today's River City Oral Surgery JR poll. I don't really have much of an opinion one way or the other uh, about these two. I like them both. I think it's Scalise. Uh, this is probably a better use of Scalise's skills, and he's, he's, he's a bright guy. He's a good communicator. He's kind of low-key. He, it's impossible to portray him as some kind of wild-eyed kook, you know. They'll, they'll, they will try, but I mean, he, he's, he's pretty level. He's got cancer. He's dealing with that. He's obviously barely survived that baseball shooting about six years ago. And um, so he's like a, he seems grounded. And, and Jordan is, Jordan's great, but I think Jordan is better where he is. And you want to leave. A guy that's that scrappy and that uh, feisty, you want to leave him in the trenches, and that's that's where he will be. So that all works for me. But tell me what you think, 210-599-5555. We were also just talking about the whole normalizing argument. Out of nowhere, when Trump came along, several in the media invented this concept called normalizing. And as I understood it, what they were arguing was we can't, even though he's the president, and grudgingly, painfully, we'll acknowledge that, we can't cover him like we covered President Obama or President Bush or any other president, even the ones we hated, because he is an aberration, uh, he is a danger to democracy, he doesn't talk right and he doesn't follow the you know the rules of etiquette he doesn't use the right fork so when we cover him we have to cover him differently and we have to cover him a lot less we can't bring you live event coverage of him we can't go to his you know cover his press conferences or whatever because that would be normalizing him that would make him even more of a threat to democracy that was their argument and it sounded bogus to me it just sounded like like butthurt hurt feelings we're, we're we're inventing fancy concepts to explain away our bias it just it didn't ring true obviously 
journalists are supposed to cover people who are newsmakers, whether they're um, making news in the most positive or most negative way. By the argument they fashioned around Trump, you wouldn't cover a serial killer or a rapist or a fraudster or, you know, I mean, I could go on and on, right? And they do, obviously. So that was their argument with Trump, and they still use it, less so since he's out of office. If that is an argument, if that is a logical school of thought, then you can't refer to pro-Palestinian demonstrators as passionate. You can't refer to them as peaceful. You can't, on the other hand, it with Hamas. I noticed they went from reporting the dead in Israel, you know, the death toll in Israel. Now the, the networks are saying the combined death toll is blank. Like they're, they're adding in the dead Palestinians. I've never seen that before. I've never seen in, in a war, I've never seen the, the, the casualties just conflated. I've, it's okay to report both, you know, the, the casualties on both sides, but it's not okay to just add them up together. That would be like if we added the people that got killed in Afghanistan to the death toll of the people at the Twin Towers, which nobody would do, I think, right? That'd be crazy. 210-599-5555. And, in fact, is the real issue that Israel won't play by the rules of warfare, which are not really a thing, but they're a thing. You can, you can cite, you can reference the international community and the Geneva Convention, and people can say things like, well, it would be wrong for Israel to turn off the power or the water. But um, like I was saying before, throughout history, when you fight an absolute all-out, no-holds-barred war, you do what you have to do to win. You don't do things you don't have to do to win, but you do everything that you have to do to win. And let's remember that during World War II, we bombed cities. And we just recently had this debate with the movie Oppenheimer about the fact that the atomic bombs were dropped on Japanese cities. They weren't dropped on Japanese naval stations or um, air depots. Or ships, or, or, or even the, like the seat of the government, they were dropped on two strategically important and relatively unscathed cities. And we were conventionally bombing Japanese cities every night leading up to those attacks, as well as all over occupied Europe. And of course, the, our enemies did this as well. Up until this supposedly enlightened era that we're now living in, 
if you believed you were right and you were defending your principles and your beliefs and your way of life, you did whatever you needed to do to win. And that's what I think Israel is doing and I think they're going to do. Every indication they're giving, unless they're bluffing or unless Netanyahu caves in, every indication they're giving is, look, we're, we're sorry if you don't like it, but we're going to do what we got to do here because this cannot happen again. We can't leave these people in place. We can't just roll them back a little bit or, or mess them up a little bit, right? So what they're saying, at least, and we'll see if they do it, is, no, this, this is it for them. This is, it's all over for them. Do you remember, and I don't remember when he said it, but do you remember when Trump said, and Don, maybe you even remember this. You've got a great memory. I'm not asking you to find the clip unless you do find it. But, Don, do you remember when Trump said something like, they asked him about ISIS. And do you remember what he said? I do not. I really don't. So He said, I would bomb the, and he used a word I can't say on the radio, I'd bomb the ish out of them. No, that's right. That's right. Remember that? Yes, yes, yes. And peep, this is when they the whole we can't normalize him, and he's so he's such a danger to democracy and civilization. I don't know about you, but I, I had been waiting for twenty years to hear uh, an American say, "Bomb the ish out of the terrorists." Yes, that's the only thing they'll understand as they go to their seventy-two virgins. They don't understand you pulled back. They don't understand you pulled out. They don't understand you you, you uh, were abiding by some agreement that was signed in Brussels in 1971 or something. But you bomb the ish out of them. They know that. They they get that. that they, everybody speaks that language. And they, oh, it was the worst thing, and Trump doesn't know what he's talking about, and all the books written by all the people that had been with Trump and then turned on him, McMaster and Tillerson and Gates and all these people. Oh, that was, he just showed right there he doesn't know anything. Okay, he's not an expert. That, that I'll give you. He's not a, you know, white linen tablecloth, extend your pinky at the diplomatic tea kind of guy. I'll give you that. But that, that's what you want to hear. That's what you need to do. That's what I think Israel's going to do. I think they're going to bomb the ish out of these people. Tell me how that isn't the right thing to do here. Tell me how there is something better than that, smarter than that, to do here. Somebody criticized me the other day because they asked me what I'd do, and I said, I'm going to bomb the shit out of them. It's true. I don't care. I don't care. They've got to be stopped. Yeah, apparently, you know, you're you're supposed to be sophisticated and smart and not uh, be better than that. And um, no, I, I I think I think when you're up against this, isn't like uh, the British and the French having one of their periodic naval wars or something. When you're up against people that are trying to um, exterminate you. Uh, you better be prepared to bomb the ish out of them. Uh, and look, there's no restraint being shown by Hamas. There's no one hand tied behind their back. There's no, hey, we're going to warn you first. There's no, we're convert. I, I don't see anything that looks like we're uh, confining ourselves to just this or that. It looks like they're doing everything. They're, they're doing stuff that's so diabolical, 
if you put it in a movie, people would say it was unbelievable. You heard about the you heard about the hang gliders, right? That they came in on hang gliders to attack the the rock festival. You, this is not going to end with a truce, I don't think. What do you think of this? The British government is suggesting that it might be a criminal offense to wave the Palestinian flag in public. The Home Secretary, Suella Braverman, calling on police forces in her country to be on the alert for displays of Hamas or Palestinian flags. Hamas is officially characterized as a terrorist organization by the U.K. government. So whether it's their flag or the Palestinian flag, Braverman says police should consider the context. Behaviors that are legitimate in some circumstances, for example, may not be legitimate, such as when intended to glorify acts of terrorism. I don't know how you would make that distinction between somebody who says, well, I'm just proud of my lineage, and somebody would say, well, I'm really happy about the, the war. Uh, people should not be supporting Hamas, and we will make sure that we hold people to account if they are, says British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak. Interesting. Um, I actually take a somewhat different view. Because I think right now, we're learning a lot about the people around us. I don't literally mean around you like the people next door to your house. I mean like the people around us in this society. We're learning a lot about this. this um, these last 72, 96 hours, whatever you want to call it, People are showing their, literally and figuratively, their colors. We're seeing people take positions and postures that they're going to be humiliated by. We're seeing people do, we were talking yesterday about the, all the college students and the Harvard students and the signing the letter and all that. If you're young and you're just starting out and you're planning on working for a law firm or a big company, or you're planning a career in, 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 in politics, let's say. There are people right now not only be clowning themselves, but destroying their future prospects. Because eventually, and it may take a while, being on the wrong side of this is going to be bad for business. It's going to be bad for your business. You're going to have some splaining to do. So I think if people want to wave the Hamas flag or run around in a Che Guevara T-shirt or, you know, whatever they're doing, I'm always in favor of letting them do it because then we know who's who. Then you know who not to hire. And, and I think that's valuable. Um, but Britain is considering criminalizing public support for Hamas. And there have been previous prosecutions just in the last few years of people that have worn T-shirts with uh, terrorist logos on it, um, for example. And I think what's happening over there, 
I, I think the Brits and, and the Europeans are probably starting to panic. I think they're even further behind us in recognizing that they don't know who they've let in. And they have in their midst, they have admitted into their midst people from societies that have very different notions of life and live and let live and, uh, you know, pick on somebody your own size. Like I said earlier, the the behaviors of these Hamas thugs are going to be seen in other parts of the world, and very soon, because they're getting amped up by what's happening. So if you've wondered, well, who did we let into this country? I hate to say it, but we're probably going to find out sooner rather than later. Anyway, we'll talk about that. Many other things. Your votes in today's JR poll. You can join the show at 210 599-5555. Join now in the KTSA Connecticut Quality Water Softeners Newsmaker line uh, by the president and the CEO of the Jewish Federation of San Antonio, Nami Ikalov. And thank you for coming on with us, uh, and and welcome back to KTSA. Thank you for having me, Jack. I appreciate it. I I was talking to uh, Elaine Rodriguez, our producer, and uh, she was telling me about uh, your own family's situation. You have you have family in Israel. Uh, what what is going on, as far as you know, with them? So my family um, are, have been fortunate enough to be in central Israel. They're in Tel Aviv area, so they weren't anywhere near the um, the horrific acts that took place on Saturday, and they're not near the Gaza border right now, so that's a good thing. And as we found out today, they're also not near the north, which is where Hezbollah um, decided to, um, we're not quite sure what came over the border in the north, but um, they, they evacuated many of the, the, the residents in the north, and thankfully my family is, is in central Israel. What kind of um, reaction from the greater you know, San Antonio community uh, are you seeing and getting, and are you surprised by it? Are you gratified by it? What What, what are people saying to you? So, for you know, an overwhelming majority, I, I shouldn't say that, 100% of the people that have reached out to me have been supportive and have shared their condolences, have shared their prayers, their thoughts, their, their well wishes, um, have asked how they can help. So I can candidly say that, that without without failure, um, our neighbors and you know, friends um, have been ve- there for us. Of course, there are those that, um, that are not um, sympathetic to the horrors that took place. There are those that believe that the uh, terrorist actions um, are an acceptable behavior of, of humanity. And, um, and that is just, you know, it adds the insult to the injury. It's, it's hard enough for us to be going through what we're going through with the, the, the terrible crimes against humanity that took place. And then to be, at, you know, in our own, you know, homeland in, of the United States, in our, in our country of, of desire, of where we want to live in peace, to see our, you know, people in our communities uh, you know, demonstrate and rally to try and suggest that this is somehow Israel's fault is is incredibly painful to see. Mm-hmm. I mean, you had to know that there were those elements or those 
ideas out there, but uh, this has definitely kind of brought them or bubbled them up to the surface. We've been talking a lot on this show about the, the whole, one of the reasons there is an Israel is because of the history of the Jewish people and, and not being uh, ever completely safe or welcome in, in so many places that they went. So that this is not just like any other country at war. Uh, th- this is a place and this is a people that have nowhere else to go. No, so, Jack, look, on a personal level, I grew up in Great Britain. And the reason I ended up in the United States was because I was raised through the British public school system. And the rise of anti-Semitism in the late 70s and early 80s was was so bad that one of my best friend's father on the way home from synagogue on a Saturday Shabbat, Sabbath um, was murdered and a swastika was left next to their, their, their dead body. So that was the final straw for my family deciding to leave, and then we came to the United States. But my only respite, my only place of sense of comfort was when I went to Israel as a young child. So my parents sent us, you know, we would go for the Passover holiday, we would go for summer vacations, we would go for winter vacations. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't a terribly long flight, and, and it was affordable for us as a family and so my place of freedom, my sense of, of where I was at home and safe was Israel. What's happened, you know, this past weekend is that, that, that Hamas has shattered that sense of safety. We, we in Israel, the, the whole concept of Israel being um, founded as a state after World War II was as a place that we didn't have to question um, whether people were really giving us um, a true sense of, of nationality, whether we lived in fear of one day our neighbors turning on us or the government um, you know, choosing to, to ship us out. Israel was our place since, it, you know, since biblical times where we knew we could always be safe. And what Hamas did is, is shatter that idea. I, and again, I don't want to. I don't want to drag you into a, a political place you, you you may not want to go. But but I, I hope people realize, and I don't think a lot of people do, that the way Israel will have to respond to this will not look like most modern wars that are fought with a PR angle or a uh, you know one hand tied behind the back. They they have to fight this as the existential threat that it is. They're saying they're going to, and I think they have to. And, and it may therefore not look like the, the so-called limited wars that we've seen recently. Yeah, so look, look, the greatest challenge in all of this is that the people who don't understand this don't understand that the Hamas are, are leaders of the Palestinians who they oppress. So to be clear, the, there, there are Palestinian citizens who are under the oppression of Hamas. And, and because people bundle them together and feel bad for those who are, who are being oppressed, they somehow are justifying Hamas's behaviors. Hamas is a terrorist organization. They, they clearly, what they did this past weekend demonstrated their inhumanity, demonstrated mm. their desire to do evil, demonstrated that they have no limits or value of human life. 
And what people need to understand is they need to separate those two. Hamas has to stop being the leadership in Gaza, and that is what Israel is committed to doing. And that is not going to be an easy decision to do. It's not going to be an easy fight to fight. And, and what, what we really need is for people to be able to understand that Hamas needs to be destroyed. They need to be taken away and out of their leadership role. Then true peace could come from it, but not until then. Uh, we're talking with Nami Ikalov, the uh, president of the Jewish Federation of San Antonio and KTSA. What kinds of, uh, I mean, what are the ways in which people who want to help can help? Well, we appreciate the, 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 the ask, you asking, and the, what Israel really needs right now is it needs financial resources. The idea of moving 15,000 people because they lost their homes this past weekend, and then others who feel unsafe to try and house them, to provide them um, food, shelter, the basic necessities of humanity, and then with today, with Hezbollah, causing cities along the border in the north to move into central Israel, there's a, there's a tremendous need. So we in San Antonio, the Jewish Federation, um, have set up a campaign that we are, we are raising all funds, 100% of every penny is going to the victims of the horrific attacks. And we have a generous donor who has actually offered to match dollar for dollar up to $1 million. So we have the opportunity to be able to, to raise $2 million from our little Jewish community of San Antonio because of the relationships we have with our neighbors and send that money to Israel to help. And where can people go, uh, Nami, to make those donations? So it's off of our website at JFSATX, which stands for the Jewish Federation of San Antonio, Texas, .org slash ICF for Israel Crisis Fund. Okay. JFSATX dot org slash ICF. Yes. Um, we'll definitely spread the word. Um, I hope you'll come back. Uh, we can talk some more. Uh, appreciate your time under difficult circumstances today. Thank you for coming on. I appreciate you, and, and thank you to all the listeners for being there to support us. We really I value it. Thank you. All right. Nami Ikalov, the president and CEO of Jewish Federation of San Antonio, uh, that website, which we'll post as well. But if you want to make a note now, jfsatx.org uh, slash ICF. Mary Lou Retton. Have you heard this is in the news? The sort of America's sweetheart, the 1984 Olympian. She is in the hospital with a rare form of pneumonia. In ICU, her family says she is fighting for her life. Mary Lou Retton is 55. I don't know if you're old enough to remember, but, I mean, she had at one point a play. I mean, it was like in the popularity polls, it was like Ronald Reagan, Mary Lou Retton. Really beloved. I think before sports got to where people had divided opinions and, you know, the, the, like in, in, the, in the era of Mary Lou Retton in the 84 Olympics, the only politics was that the Soviets 
boycotted the 84 Olympics. But, I mean, it wasn't as if American athletes were controversial or were kneeling or, you know, what have you. Speaking of athletes, this is a blast from the past. This goes back even further. I had completely forgotten about this guy. Do you remember? Are you old enough to remember who Steve Garvey is? Don, do you remember who Steve Garvey is? Yes, of course. Back in the 70s, when the Dodgers were a perennial playoff team and they had an all-star lineup, I mean, every position, you know, you hated them because they were so damn good. Every position, you know, first base, second base, shortstop, everyone's an all-star. Steve Garvey was the first baseman for the Los Angeles Dodgers. He was MVP a couple of times in the 70s. He was not the greatest player, but kind of like emblematic of the Dodgers. He was a he was a good hitter. He looked good. He had kind of like that chiseled, you know, all-American boy kind of look. And he's been obviously been retired a long time. I think he's in his mid to late 70s now. He announced this week he's running for the Senate in California as a Republican. Uh, Garvey says um, that he is tired of career politicians telling people what's good for them and that their lives are going well. And um, we know that things could be better. We've seen better days in California. And people need help. He referenced in his campaign announcement his 50-year love affair with California starting when he joined the Dodgers in 1969. And he says he's going to focus on economic issues, supporting the police, and the border. And he's going to run for the Senate. Of course, he's going to run as a Republican in California, which means I could probably be elected senator from California as likely as him. But um, I, I, he, I was never a fan of him as a baseball player. I mean, I really just didn't like him. I, I, and I'm sorry if this offends you. I really just didn't like the Dodgers. They were just a little too perfect, you know? There was, they seemed a little too L.A. I, it's prob, that was probably a very immature attitude on my part as a Red Sox fan, but I just didn't like him. But I do like the fact that you have people completely out of politics. People with not a... He's not making the connection. He's not saying, well, I kind of, sort of was... These are people saying, you know what? I'm going to get into this because the people that are already in this business are idiots. Are, they're not good enough. We need hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people that never thought about running for something to run. We don't need, and I'm sorry, I don't mean to offend anyone, we don't need another lawyer. We don't need another young, I've never done anything but politics person. Oh, I was a staffer and I did this and I worked here and I did that and I was in a think tank and now I want to run for Congress. We need people from completely outside. So, I don't know. He probably is a long, long, long shot. Uh, but it's emblematic of, I mean, here's a guy with money, and he's got a successful, comfortable retirement. It's not like he doesn't have anything to do. He's Steve Garvey. So I'm going to give this a shot. I'm going to do this. So Interesting stat on him even though his baseball stats were, were not the best but and, and I, i'm not even sure why i remember this except i think i heard it on an interview in, on a sports station somewhere he is is never he's not in the hall of fame uh he's no he, he's been no. 
um, up for the uh, grabs of the Hall of Fame for several times, but uh, he, he's one that, um, you know. But I think he was MVP one year. He was, I think he yes. might have even won. I think he might have even won a batting title or something, something like that. Yes, several yeah. times. I mean, it, yeah, you're right. He was not not the greatest player of his era, but he was a good player. I mean, he was in the lineup every day on the the perennial, you know, contender in the National League. He had a name brand. He was well liked by you know mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. many baseball fans. But uh, yeah, mm-hmm. it's interesting that he's not in the Hall of Fame yet. Yeah. So uh, that's happening, and, um, and who would have thought, by the way, have you, if you've been following this year's uh, playoffs, we might have an all-Texas American League pennant series. It looks very possible that the Texas Rangers and the Houston Astros will meet in the ALCS. And that's never happened before, I know, because the Astros have only been in the American League a few years. So pretty cool. Who would have thunk it? Uh, do you want uh, Steve Scalise as Speaker of the House of Representatives? Yes, no, not sure, don't care. Uh, vote in the JR poll. We'll have results coming up. We were talking with uh, Nami Ikolov of the Jewish Federation about how mostly they're they're getting support, but there are some pretty reprehensible reactions here and there. And um, I wanted to highlight a couple of things I thought were interesting, not to focus on the negative or focus on the exceptions rather than the rule, but, for example, you may have heard about this. Black Lives Matter in Chicago uh, tweeted out a graphic um, which uh, celebrated the Hamas paragliding terrorists and incorporated the BLM logo. And, of course, the hang-gliding terrorists, I don't know if those are called hang-gliders or paragliders, I don't know, forgive me if I've got the wrong term. Uh, that was hundreds of people killed right there. That was that was one of the bloodiest aspects of the attack. And they were, uh, they, they killed these concert-goers, and then they trapped the survivors so that they could kill more of them because people started running, and they cut off the means of exit so that they could mow down even more. They got heat for this tweet, and they deleted it, but they have not changed their statement of support. They've actually doubled down on their uh, support. Remember when, oh, this was Sage Steele uh, tweeting this out. Remember when it was racist to even ask where the millions raised for BLM were going? Remember when it was racist if you didn't post that black square? The silence from those virtue-signaling race baiters is deafening and remains one of the biggest reasons why this country is so divided. Sage Steele, who quit ESPN recently. And then you've heard about the uh, Harvard Law students... There were, I think it's 34 or something, 30-something student organizations at Harvard that whose, whose representatives, on behalf of their members, signed a group letter that said, in part, the apartheid regime is the only one to blame. 
The coming days will require a firm stand against colonial retaliation. We call on the Harvard community to take action to stop the ongoing annihilation of Palestinians. And there's so much wrong with that, you hardly know where to begin. I mean, the history is wrong, labeling Israel a colonial power, um, using the word annihilation in reference to a people who were, in fact, the target of the most efficient and coordinated attempted annihilation in modern history. Pretty, pretty, um, pretty much an F in history for these Harvard students. So that happened. And by the way, you know that none of these doofuses are going to actually go and risk their butts in the fight that they're calling for all kinds of things to happen, but they'll remain in their, you know, in their little coffee shops in Cambridge. They won't do anything. But but be that as it may, that happened. And then a couple of other things happened. People started, um, and it was all public information, people went in and obtained the names of the members of these groups and started throwing it up on X and on Facebook and, and other places. So the the members of the groups that had committed to the letter, now their names were out. And a funny thing happened. They liked the sentiment of the group letter when their name wasn't associated with it, but they didn't like having their name associated with it. If this is how you feel, say it loud, say it proud. And there was at least one instance of a young, I think, woman who had a job offer from a major law firm rescinded because the law firm said, we're disappointed that you would associate with this letter. This is not congruent with the way we like to have our associates behave. This is not in keeping with, the, with, our, uh, with our law firm. And they rescinded their offer. If you really believe it, you would embrace the suck. You would embrace the the price of your revolutionary views. She's crying her head off about it. And so now other students are erasing their social media, closing their accounts, all kinds of X accounts are being, you know, closed. Because all of a sudden there's an accountability thing that goes with this. See, it's it's one thing to hide behind a group letter or to go to a demonstration where you're wearing a, a face scarf and wave your Palestinian flag. By the way, where are they getting all the Palestinian flags? Where do you, where would you get that? I don't think you can go down to the corner store and get a Palestinian flag. Who's paying for all that? Who's supplying the paraphernalia, right? Think about that. Anyhow... Google uh, took down a site in which people were posting publicly available information about student groups, not even names of students, just student groups that were endorsing Hamas or sympathizing with Hamas. And then you probably have heard this. The White House has um, distanced itself from the squad. So... 
In particular, two members of the squad, these are the radical Dems, Rashida Tlaib and Ilhan Omar, um, made uh, statements that Corinne Jean-Pierre called repugnant yesterday, telling reporters there are not two sides when it comes to the terror attacks in Israel. KJP was asked about comments made uh, by Omar Tlaib, Cory Bush, uh, Omar has called what Israel is doing in fighting back a war crime. Tlaib and Bush have called on the U.S. to not send anything of support to Israel. And KJP said, I've seen those statements, and to be very clear, we believe they are wrong, we believe they are repugnant, and we believe they are disgraceful. There are not two sides when it comes to the terror attacks in Israel. Okay, good. But, let me point something out. I mean, that that's correct. But for how many years, for how many years did Democrats play the race card in excusing and rationalizing the crazy-ish that squad members have said? Lies they've told things they've made up out of whole cloth, crazy-ass gestures like Cory Bush sleeping on the steps of the Capitol, all this bananas stuff that they've done and said. And if you criticized it, out came the race card. So I'm sorry if I'm not that impressed with your denunciation of their recent repugnant comments. They have a history of repugnant comments. They have a history of ignorant, hateful, Johnny One Note reactions to everything. They're they're like people that all you have is a hammer and everything they see is a nail. Um, You don't get to suddenly fix that now. By the way, to the extent that Biden and KJP and others have have had some clarity on Israel, and I'm going to say this, and I know it sounds very cynical, but this is what I believe. You know, I'm going to always tell you what I think. I'm pretty sure that there's there's polling behind all of this. I don't think they would be even as clear as they've been, which is not crystal clear, but clear. I don't think they would be, except the polling must be appalling. Um, There must be some indication that the horrors of the last few days have broken through maybe that crust of people that don't really follow the news or kind of apolitical. And so when they get this sort of up on their moral horse, you can usually bet that they've seen some numbers They've gotten some reaction, and they've been told, look, you need to get out in front of this. You need to get on the right side of this. You know, Tlaib and Omar, they're not going anywhere. They're not going to join the Republicans. So condemn them, rake them over the coals. You can make it up to them later, and they will. But, yeah, let's not forget how many years we were told that they needed to be heard. And uh, remember, Pelosi would always fall all over herself to 
say how much she respected that you know and, and i mean it's it's um it's really not uh, it's really not off brand the stuff they're saying stuff that Ilhan Omar in particular is saying this is the way she always talks okay she she hates jews she hates israel uh it it didn't take what israel's doing now to bring that out she that was just an occasion to say it but a little different uh a little different tack uh at the moment right there's a question when you get an alert on your phone about a missing child, which I believe is called an amber alert, right? There's all these alerts now. There's clear alerts and silver alerts. Silver alert is if a senior is lost or missing. But amber alert, I think, is for missing children. What do you do when you get an amber alert on your phone? And it usually includes a description of the child, the adult with whom the child is thought to be, and sometimes there's a vehicle. I always make like a mental note of the car. Okay, you know, maroon Chevy Traverse. And I don't memorize the whole license plate, but I'm like, okay, license plate starts CYX. And that way I figure I can remember that much. If I see a maroon Chevy with CYX, I'll, I'll call the cops. I'm, I, it might be a false alarm, but, it, it, you know, I'll, I'll make a mental note. Keep it with me for a little while. I think most people do some variation of that, right? Um, California just signed a bill, or the governor of California just signed a bill to create the Ebony Alert. Do you know what the Ebony Alert is? I'd never heard of this before. The Ebony Alert system is for missing black children. Now, I know what you're thinking. Were they not alerting when black children were missing before? Were they not included? Did California segregate them out of the Amber Alert? No. The Ebony Alert will go into effect, says Governor Gavin Newsom, uh, upon request from local law enforcement when a black youth goes missing in the area. California is taking bold and needed action to locate missing black children and black women in California, says Democratic State Senator Stephen Bradford. Our black children and young women are disproportionately represented on the lists of missing persons. Uh, They claim there was a racial bias in the Amber Alert system. Now, if there was a racial bias, I I have to dig into this. I'm sorry, I can't let this go. I know you're like, why, Jack, who cares? just, Just bear with me for a minute. I don't know if I accept any of this, but but let's say for the sake of argument, that the people running the Amber Alert system are closet racists and they were omitting or crumpling up and throwing away the information about missing black children. Like they weren't putting it in. That's what I guess we would have to believe in California. If you've got people in authority doing that, fire their Butts, I mean, they should be fired. If you're interfering with or preventing the locating of a missing child, my God, I don't care. I don't care how good you are at the rest of your job. You're fired. You're done. You don't work here anymore. Clean out your desk right now. If there are racial disparities with the Amber Alert system in the liberal 
blue state of California, fix it. Why would you create an entirely separate system which will be sabotaged by these same embedded racists that were keeping them out of the amber system? In other words, you've got to rely on Cletus or whoever the secret closet racist is. You've got to rely on him now to put the name into the ebony system. I mean, it's not like there were extra hoops to jump through or extra paperwork or they had to wait longer. If you were black, they had to wait longer for you to be missing before. No. I know what they're doing. I know that it's pandering. I know that it's virtue signaling. But it's also segregation. Do people not see this? This is when we, when you and I were growing up, we learned about segregation as something really bad that happened in the past. And it was so bad, it was inexplicable. And I remember as a kid, we'd be in school and we'd be hearing about like Rosa Parks or the lunch counters and the water fountains. And I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, that was in freaking explicable to me. Like I couldn't believe, couldn't even imagine that in my country that had ever been okay. Right? So we were never going back to that. We were never going to do that again. We thought that was nasty. We're doing it again. Segregated dorms, segregated graduation ceremonies. The only difference is that the segregating is being done by a different group of people. The old segregating was done by overt racists. The new segregating is being done by secret racists. Not sure which is worse, but I think the secret ones might be worse. I think we might have been better off when people like Orville Faubus or George Wallace were like, okay, here I am, this is who I am. Love me or hate me. I think it's worse when you've got limousine liberals in places like Massachusetts and California and New York and Chicago as wolves in sheep's clothing. Oh, I'm here to help everybody. So, ebony alerts. Is it okay as a white person? Is it okay? May I... May I help with, if I get an ebony alert, am I allowed to memorize that license plate too? Or do I need to just mind my own business and say, we don't need your help. <laughs> I mean, is that how it's going to work? I don't, mean to, I don't mean to laugh, but I can't help it. That's just so ridiculous. I wish I was making this up. I'd be really, really whimsical, but this is, this is what they're doing in California. Uh New bill signed into law, House Bill 6673, the Ebony Alert System. The good news is this can't go too much further. There won't be too many more because they're going to run out of colors eventually. That's that's the one good thing we have to hang our hats on. We're going to get to the results on the JR poll coming up. Do you want Steve Scalise to be the next Speaker of the House of Representatives? See how you voted on that. You can vote right now at KTSA.com. 
We were talking about the ebony alerts in California. Where does it end, right? I mean, that's... Uh, what will they do if a child is mixed race? I guess you could put them on both systems. You could put them on Amber Alert and put them on Ebony Alert. Do you have to pick one? Can I be in both? Or maybe if you're mixed, they just won't look for you at all. But we, we, we don't know what to do with you, so... Sorry. Um, I guess we should be glad that they are still at least describing the race of missing children. Like they're still saying, this is a six-year-old black girl, this is a 12-year-old white girl. Because remember, there's now media outlets that are refusing to, and even police departments, that are refusing to supply um, racial descriptives when there's a bolo or a person wanted, person of interest. We we don't we don't want to we don't want to categorize classify uh, we don't want to reinforce stereotypes. Yeah, but you're trying to find the person. C- gotta have the info. What was that line from Austin Powers? I'm the boss. Need the info. Two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. With all of the um, news out of Israel the last few days, and. Let's not forget a place called Ukraine. Do you remember Ukraine? Yeah, it's, but I thought they I thought that war had ended. How many days do have we gone done without any Ukraine news? Is anything happening there? Have both sides Nothing stopped to, Have both sides stopped to watch the fighting in Israel? Is that what what the hell? That completely disappeared from the news. Apparently we don't need to know what's going on there. That's crazy, right? But anyway, uh, so you've got the, you know, before Israel, we were worried about nukes in Ukraine and what have you. What happened to the greatest threat to humanity is climate change. I'd like to see one of these knuckleheads from Team Joe give that testimony right now. I'd like to see somebody present that. We've heard that argument many, many times. The single greatest, I mean, General Milley has said it, Secretary Austin has said it, I believe President Biden himself has said it more than once, I could be wrong, but certainly people representing him have said it. The single greatest threat to him, we know that John Kerry, of course, you know, delusional John Kerry, not getting sufficient ventilation in this private jet, I don't think. The single most existential threat to humanity we've ever faced and do face is climate change. The era era of global boiling has arrived. Mm. Mm -hmm. We are boiling the planet, says the Secretary General of the United Nations. So, yes, that was what they were saying. I wonder if they're still feeling that way. It would, this would be an interesting time to try to trundle out that argument again. Speaking of energy and the environment, a little story today probably gets lost in the headlines from the Middle East, but Exxon, or ExxonMobil is what it's called now, right? ExxonMobil has bought a company um, called Pioneer Natural Resources. 
This is a multi-billion dollar deal. And the result of it is going to more than double ExxonMobil's shale oil production in the Permian Basin. Exxon will be considered king of shale, says one energy analyst. Pioneer is a clear leader in the Permian with a unique asset base and deep industry knowledge. The combined capabilities of our two companies will provide long-term value creation well in excess of what either company is capable of doing on shale oil, says ExxonMobil chairman Darren Woods. $60 billion deal for what is fossil fuel. What? Have they not heard? I'm going to end fossil fuel, says President Electric Car. I'm going to end fossil fuel. I mean, he is a fossil, but you know. And you know what else is interesting? This is a deal with no federal subsidies. So all by themselves, two energy companies that are in the energy business that have people who know about energy have made this deal to bet on, if you will, the future of shale oil. I'm not not saying that, I I don't want to oversimplify this, but just something like that tells me a lot more about where we're going than 10 speeches by the Secretary of Energy or Secretary Pete or, you know, some other politician having a photo op with a charging station. That tells me where we're going. And it's what I've thought and probably what you've thought all along, that if we could time travel to like 20 years into the future, you're going to be more shocked by what has not happened when it comes to cars, than by what has happened. I mean, do what you want to do, drive what you want to drive, I'm all for that. But it's interesting to watch people in the actual energy business and watch not what they say or the commercials, because I know a lot of the, a lot of the uh, gasoline retailers, like when you see their TV advertising on the football games and stuff, they're referring to themselves now as energy companies and mobility companies, and they've got logos now that look like, um, you know, wheat fields or the sun. <laughs> but, but, I mean, that's all for show. They've got to appease these bananas politicians. They've got to make sure they don't get crosswise with these crazies that are in power. But when it comes to putting pencil to paper and making deals... They're making deals for oil. And I'll bet you if we could get inside the car companies, and I mean deep into the inner sanctums, into the the, the product planning, the, the doors that are triple locked at night, not the, not the press releases, not what they say at the International Auto Show or what have you, but if we could look at the products in the pipeline, any one of the major automakers, internal combustion engines still being developed, the means, the means of production, the the tooling, all of that stuff, they're not they're making sure they're they're covered. Yeah, electric is happening, they're planning it, they're showcasing it. But I'll bet you anything they've covered all their bases. And some of them we know, like Toyota is very open about it. They say we we 
We think there's a mix of things in the future. We're going to have hydrogen cell. We're going to have ICE. We're going to have electric. We're doing all of that. But I, I think they, I think in fact, even the ones that don't say it are probably doing it. And you look at this Exxon Mobil announcement, it tells you what you need to know. On the JR poll, powered by River City Oral Surgery, do you want Steve Scalise as the next Speaker of the House? House Republicans have nominated him, but he hasn't been formally elected yet by the full House. Do you want Scalise as Speaker? 51% say yes. 15% say no. And 34% say they don't know. So we'll see what happens. I think that'll probably they'll I think they'll settle on him. And um we'll move on from that. Wonder how long he'll be in there. Hasn't uh being the uh speaker of the Republican House has not been a longevity thing, right? I wonder if, I haven't even counted, but how many Republican speakers have there been during the period of time that the only Democratic speaker was Nancy Pelosi? I mean, she's like the rock of Gibraltar compared to the Republicans. But that that's, you know, that's the culture of those two parties. Um, I was uh, flying a little bit the last few days, and um, so this story kind of jumped out at me. Um, I did not fly on Alaska Airlines. But it says here that Alaska Airlines has developed in cooperation with a coffee company called Stumptown, a special blend of coffee that will be available exclusively on Alaska Airlines starting December 1st. It is a blend of coffee created to taste better at high altitude. It is made for being up in the air. For those who don't know, your taste buds react differently at 30,000 feet due to altitude, says a press release from the airline. It can cause food and drinks to taste... I did not know that. You probably knew that. It can cause food and drinks to taste differently from how they do on the ground. So we got with the experts at Stumptown to craft a custom coffee blend that ensures a well-balanced, complex flavor profile that delivers a remarkably smooth and enjoyable cup for our guests every time you fly with us, says the news release. Uh, They spent uh, months and brewed hundreds of pots of coffee in testing, both in flight and on the ground. You know, I, I think I believe them. Because I'm pretty sure when I was flying the other day, I was served some experimental coffee. I, <laughs> I, I mean, I'm not sure if they said it was coffee. You know, what are you going to do? You're on an airplane, right? You can't go down the street to the other place. You can't send it back. Has anyone ever sent a cup of coffee back on an airplane? Yeah, I, this is not good enough. You know... Trent is already standing there next to you with the cart. What's he going to do? Take it back to the galley? You got to take what they give you, right? But they're really playing this up. Like, if I were them, I don't think I'd have announced that you were going to have better coffee. Maybe just serve it 
see if people notice. But if you if you start bragging about it, you know how crotchety people already are when they're flying. You've seen all the videos, right? You're just like daring people to hate this. Here's the other thing. I, I give them credit because a lot of people do drink coffee on airplanes. I know I do. I give them credit for trying to make it better, but you're starting out, the bar is very low. You realize that, right? Like you're you're not what you're serving now isn't just like not very good coffee. It's like almost unrecognizable. Have you ever had airplane coffee? Like sometimes it's just the only thing they got right was the temperature of it. It's <laughs> like nothing else that it's not it's like it was made by people that have never actually had a cup of coffee. So you're you're not really this isn't going to be hard to make better. Almost anything you do, you're going to probably, you're just stumbling, you'll probably make it better. But I did not know, I I guess, that um, your taste buds work differently up in the air. I did not not realize that. Um, Now, does that apply to everything? Like, I don't know, to me, like the little salted peanuts, they, they taste the same up there as they do down here, don't they? The only thing that happens on an airplane, you probably have noticed this, is you're insanely grateful for very small amounts of things. Like, if somebody invited you over to their house and said, hey, you want some salted nuts? Yeah, I'd love some. And they gave you three. You would think, this. what's the matter with this person? But on the airplane, they give you like three. You're like, oh, thank you. You're great. You're so grateful for anything they give you, right? So the coffee is the coffee. Soon to get better, according to Alaskan Airlines. See you back here live tomorrow at 4.